0: Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me as usual. Darcy, how are you doing? Hey, what's up? I'm doing pretty okay. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I mean, it's Saturday. We're recording on a Saturday afternoon. Gotta love that. Just chilling for the day. I love that it's not Sunday, because I always feel nervous on Sunday, because I'm like, crap, I gotta go back to work on Monday. I know. So, yeah, I'm loving Saturdays. They're my favorite day of the week. Yep. So, let's jump into some interesting stuff. Okay. Did you hear about Todd and Julie Chrisley? So, <laughs> headline only.
1: I barely know who they are. I've, I've heard of the name. I know they have a reality show. And I know the father and daughter are fighting. And like that's the extent of my knowledge of the matter.
0: I guess E Entertainment just signed a bunch of stuff for them. They've got like 12 shows or some okay. craziness like that. But evidently, they were both convicted of bank fraud and tax evasion and could face up to 30 years in prison. Whoa. Yeah. Reality stars Todd and Julie Chris Lee face up to 30 years each in prison after being convicted of bank fraud and tax evasion. There was a three-week trial in Atlanta, Georgia, where a federal jury began deliberating last week and found that Chrisley Knows Best stars guilty on all accounts. The celebrity couple had been accused of inflating their net worth while seeking loans from smaller banks, which did less vetting than their larger counterparts in order to secure about $30 million in fraudulent loans. I had no idea you could even do that. That's...
1: Nuts. I'm pretty sure that's how Donald Trump has been making his businesses run for the past 40 years.
0: Wow. In any case, Todd filed for bankruptcy in 2012, and $20 million in loan debt was erased, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Zoinks. So the Chrisleys were also accused of dodging taxes as early as 2009. They skipped out on a $500,000 tax bill that year. The prosecutor had argued that once their USA show began in 2016, they attempted to hide the millions that they made from it with the government. Uh, That seems ill-advised. Their accountant, Peter Tarantino, was simultaneously convicted of of filing false tax returns for them. Hmm. As today's outcome shows, according to the FBI special agent in charge... When you lie, cheat, and steal, justice is blind as to your fame, your fortune, and your position, but in the end, mm. when driven by greed, the verdict of guilty on all counts for these three defendants proves once again that financial crimes do not pay. I mean, that's a little, that's a cute little way of saying that, but i right? not sure it's true. In the meantime, though, their attorney, Bruce Morris, argued that his clients had been unaware that an employee overseeing Chrisley's asset management had been defrauding the government until 2012 when they fired him. The attorney alleged that the employee had since provided further information on the Chrisleys to the U.S. Attorney General's office in order to get federal immunity, which could be the case, right? Right. The Associated Press reported that Morris planned to appeal, of course, right? Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. And the, the judge allowed the Chris Lees to remain out on bond, however their location is now being monitored to ensure they remain at home except for valid reasons like court appearances, work or medical appointments, and they have to let their probation officers know about any expenditures over $1,000. The couple, hmm. whose show features a blended family, previously made their home in Georgia's capital. They relocated to Nashville six years ago. In addition to their flagship show, the Chrisleys and their offspring have starred in a string of current and former projects, including TV's According to Chrisley and Growing Up Chrisley, the web series What's Cooking with Julie Chrisley, as well as Todd and Julie's podcast Chrisley Confessions. Last month, E! gave them the green light for a new show called Love Limo, which is a speed dating show that Chrisley would host and produce. Their, Their sentencing is scheduled for October 6th. The names of these shows are just ridiculous, and who's going to listen to
1: it? Well, the podcast being "Chrisley Confessions" Stupid. is a little sorry on the nose, I think. Um, but I don't, I, I don't watch reality TV. I've never been a reality TV person, so I know that they have a show because I read like celebrity gossip. But I don't know. What the draw for them to them, and why did they get a show? I thought he was like a youth pastor no. when I saw like commercials of him just because of the way he acts. No. So, like, I have no idea what it is they do, what, who they are, why I, I just.
0: This is so. absolutely wild. Like, the case I- itself. Um, I've watched their show a couple of times, but I just uh, I couldn't get into it. It was just pointless. Well, yeah. It's this family pretending to be extremely wealthy and throwing their money around. That's what
1: reality TV shows Um, are.
0: They just do different events. They go to batting cages. They like It's it's all scripted. You can tell it's all scripted. But I guess when this whole thing went down, this man who went to the FBI or the special agents or whatever claimed that he'd had a sexual relationship with Todd Chrisley and that he'd also bribed Chrisley's daughter by walking in on her and her, I think, boyfriend or husband at the time, having sex, taking pictures, and then like supposedly bribing this young woman okay wait the pictures, so the, the this is inappropriate I, this is why pictures. i had
1: heard that the father and daughter were in a fight because the da- like the something about a father like threatening to release his daughter's sex tape or something like that which is super oh, effed just, up just for a father to do but she testified but the whole case is just like really well so they had, they had an accountant really? and then they were like hey help us hide this money. And then they got caught. So of course they're going to blame the accountant. And they're like, we had no idea. And the accountant's like, "Yeah, hm, watch out, buddy. I got all of this on you.
0: I just have a feeling that there are a lot of wealthy individuals that have been doing the same yes. thing for years. And hopefully this is kind of opening up the floodgates, in a way, and allowing for prosecution of these individuals who are essentially making money off the backs of the right. masses. Because it results in higher costs for right. everyone. Across the board, when stuff like this happens. Yes. And it just seems ridiculous that they would be able to live this kind of a lifestyle and not really do anything. I guess at one point, Todd Chrisley was going to open up a department store. And so he was like uh, looking for clothing manufacturers and traveling and doing all this stuff because he wanted to open up a department store. And that ended up falling through. And, you know, he's out there getting loan after loan right. after loan after loan and upgrading their house and buying all these fancy cars. And it's just. But like come on. Like if you're going to make that kind of money, you have an obligation to do things for society, you know? I don't know. Is am
1: I wrong on that? Unfortunately, I think that's a no. Well, I don't I don't think that's a right or wrong answer or th- there's a right or wrong answer to that question. I think unfortunately that notion though of to be altruistic, being obligated to give back is something that we we, it's outdated I mean
0: I think he does claim that he has done a lot of charitable stuff but yeah these they really don't have anything special (laughs) about their
1: personalities and yet like that's that's what I was trying to figure out like I don't know how they first came to the attention of whoever whoever put them on tv and like why
0: this white southern family like with very deep accents like
1: Super hard to find. You're not gonna find that everywhere in Atlanta. <laughs> Throw a rock and hit 14 families like that.
0: Anyway, and, I mean, I hate to pick on these guys like this, but like it just why they committed fraud. Yeah, um, I'm interesting, interested to see though what kind of time. Let me pick out on for being southern to see what kind it. of time they're gonna get for this. Whether they'll just get a slap on the wrist, or whether they'll actually get like 10 years in prison. In federal prison. I mean,
1: sometimes they like some some white collar crimes they do like really hammered down on.
0: I feel like they, they, they're they going to feel like they have an obligation to do so in this instance because of the high profile nature of this case.
1: I think I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I
0: really hope they do. I'm <laughs> sorry. I,
1: I wouldn't be mad if that happened. Right?
0: <laughs> right. Um, OK, so let's change topics for a, just a, a little minute here. Yeah. Um, let's talk about energy levels, <laughs>
1: this is, Buddy.
0: especially in the morning. What are they and how do I get them? I'm literally the worst when it comes to that. I don't drink coffee, as you well know. Um, We've had this discussion many, many, many times. Um, It really, because of the fact that I don't consume caffeine in the morning, and I'm not an energetic person in the morning anyway. If I had my way, I'd sleep until noon and work until 2 o'clock in the morning. But you can't really do that with a normal job, right? Yeah. So enter Magic mine. (laughs) this awesome little drink that I found. And it's so good for groggy mornings and it's good for focus and steady energy throughout the day. Obviously, because I don't drink coffee, I have to find an alternative. I was doing chai tea and it kind of Mm -hmm. the sugar in it. It's got a lot of sugar in it. Yeah. left me with, you know, I was great and energetic for about an hour and then I would have these spikes and just down up and down and up and down and. Yeah. Using this wonderful little product, and it's a shot. It's like, what is it, two ounces? The Magic Mind shot? I think two ounces, yeah. And it's like matcha flavored, and it's it's pretty good. You tried it, right? It is actually really good. So I found that it's improved my mornings so much. And you can take yeah. it with you anywhere. You can drink it cold. You can drink it on the rocks. You can drink it in smoothies. You can drink it room temp, which is what I do, because I don't. my teeth are very sensitive to cold stuff. I just started drinking them. Um, instead of my chai tea yeah and they're amazing
1: yeah I so we've also discussed my chronic insomnia it's the worst and then having that since I was 18 years old and being a PhD student means I put away freaking <laughs> like of a whole pot a day and or like <laughs> yeah and it's like that it becomes a cycle i don't sleep so i have to drink more coffee so i have to be more awake so then i don't sleep because i've had so much caffeine so when i found this i was really jazzed about being able to take it with my caffeine in the morning so it says to take it like with your coffee if you have coffee in the morning and it just like it's like a a boost um that lasts much longer than the effects of the coffee so like it lasts all day and it does taste really good
0: seriously what's in it let's talk about the ingredients real quick
1: yeah so there are it's l-theanine or l-theanine which is something that helps with focus and attention it works with caffeine so that's why they say you can take it with your morning coffee Um, there's bacopa monieri which is natural this helps with procrastination it's kind of like a natural adderall really helps you focus ashwagandha which i've taken actually before and rhodiola rosea work to decrease stress and low-grade anxiety and then lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, which I've not tried, but you've tried those before I've done individually. i ashwagandha
0: and rhodiola and then the cordyceps yeah. mushrooms um, as part of a protocol or regimen that was prescribed to me by a naturopathic physician for the reduction oh. of stress and maintaining natural energy throughout the day for sort of an yeah. adrenal fatigue kind of a thing. So those are really okay. good ingredients. And you've got that awesome matcha tea flavor for this drink. Like, uh-huh. it's just so easy to drink. Like, and I'm super picky. I don't drink coffee because I hate the way it tastes. It's just nasty. Yeah. But this stuff, like, I could do a whole pot of this on its own. I don't think that would probably yeah. be the way you're supposed to take Magic Minds, but it's so good. It's right. really tasty. And it works. Like, that's yeah. the bottom line. Like, we would encourage you guys to try it for yourselves. Um, if you're having that trouble getting up in the morning or trouble maintaining focus or trouble having that steady energy stream throughout the day, you should give this a shot for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what Promo code. Let's talk about it. We recommend you guys go to magicmind.co and use our link, which is?
1: Bizarre 20. So the first 10 days after you're hearing this you can get 40% off of subscription at magicmind.co backslash Bizarre using our code Bizarre20. That's bizarre R um, R E two zero. After that 10 days, it's going to drop down to 20% off, but that's still a really good discount. So again, that code is Bizarre20, and we'll put all that in the show notes and everything too.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Main case for the day. All right. Anastasia Annie Hester. I don't think you've probably heard of this case, but after I get done, you're going to be pretty amazed. Okay. Okay. Anastasia Hester, also known as Annie, uh, was born in Portland, Oregon in 1981. Okay. She grew up in Gresham, Oregon, which is about 30 minutes from Portland, 30 minutes east of Portland. And it's on the Columbia River. Right across the river is Washington State. Just like everything's east of Portland, right? Like, isn't that yeah, like, yeah, essentially? But it's a super cool area. I I yeah. really like that area. But at the Nerven, at the time of our story, Annie was about thirty six years old. She was working as a floor supervisor at a waste management service center. Okay, but it's June tenth, two thousand sixteen. It's early in the morning. It's around three o'clock to be exact. Annie Hester frantically calls nine one one, and says she needs help. Near Gresham, Oregon. Her voice is weak. Obviously, she's been uh, hurt badly mm-hmm. um, from everything that she indicates in her call. They ask her if she needs an ambulance. She says yes. They ask her if she knew who who did this to her, and she says no. The police arrive to the East Park Apartments on the ground floor unit, where the call had originated. Okay. Paramedics enter and find a woman. They enter through an unlocked front door, by the way. Mm-hmm. And they find a woman on the ground. She's in her mid-30s, and she's been stabbed numerous times. Holy moly. She There's blood everywhere, and there are three weapons nearby, and there are footprints in the blood. So police immediately realize, hey, we've got to preserve this crime scene. They actually pick her up for medical care and take her out the back right. of the unit so that they don't interrupt the crime scene further. And they actually make a hole in the fence so they can get her out of that backyard area uh-huh. and into the ambulance.
1: There were three weapons? So like they think th- at least three weapons Three were knives.
0: Used? Oh my god. Yeah. Behind the apartment, there was a cinder block that it had obviously been used to gain access to her apartment through a window. Whoa, OK. So there, was, there had been an air conditioner in that window. And somebody had taken the air conditioner out from the cinder block and then used the cinder block to climb up in through the window. Oh, uh, that is my biggest fear about ground floor living, right? Mounted ACs, yes. Seriously. So initially the police see that the entranceway is directly into the one bedroom in the apartment, which is a children's bedroom. <gasps> and they suspect a possible kidnapping. Cause yeah. there's no child? Annie has a daughter. Her name is Alice and she's four years old. But she is quickly accounted for. Her father, Matt Hester, has her, oh. and he is in Portland, Oregon. The two had divorced, Matt and okay. Annie, and they split custody, and Matt was supposed to have Alice that weekend, so everything was on the up and up. Okay. Annie was found in the living room next to a pull-out sofa, because, again, I mentioned that it was only one bedroom in that apartment. Okay. Yeah. It was clear to everyone who saw this that she had been kind of woken up from sleeping and attacked in her sleep. Right. It's a very violent crime scene with lots of blood. And it turns out that Annie did not survive. Mm. And this is now a murder case. Near the bed was a folding pocket knife. And there were two larger knives near the kitchen that had obviously been taken from a butcher block in Annie's kitchen. Mm -hmm. She'd been stabbed with these three Mm -hmm. knives and nearly decapitated. Jesus, how in the world does she call 911? I don't know. You hear her voice on the 911 call, and it's she's very like. You could tell she's bleeding out. Oh my gosh. I I wouldn't recommend listening to it. It's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, the, with the intensity that she'd been stabbed, and the number of times that she'd been stabbed, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. It's clear to them that this is a crime of passion. Right. Because you don't usually see this kind of intensity in stranger crimes, right? Right. The attack through a window confused them, though, because the person did not get access by permission from what Mm -hmm. it looked like, right? Investigators began exploring the clues. Um, Annie worked in a call center. And she was part of a divorced couple. And they always looked to the ex-spouse first, right? Right, sure. But she was known to be reliable. She had initially worked first at an after-school center for kids and then at this call center. And they look into her coworkers at the call center just to see if anyone knows anything or anyone there held any grudges against her. And, of course, no one did. Hmm. Um, in 2008, at the age of 26, she married a salesman from a wireless phone store, which was Matt Hester. Okay. Okay, that's a little bit of background on this guy. He was a video game junkie who didn't seem super motivated to succeed in life or climb the corporate ladder. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. OK. In sharp contrast, though, Annie wanted a career, a family, a house, and the whole white picket fence and all that kind of stuff, which is not surprising. So she had her together. Yeah. She She wanted to do things and go places. Yeah. And I made a little note, probably should have explored that before marrying the video game dude. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, you need to talk about these things with people before you commit to a life together.
1: Yes. (laughs) Not trying to blame the victim here,
0: but like, yeah. Anyway. Make sure we're all on the same page about what we want for our lifestyles. Yeah. Annie's family wasn't stoked about the union, but they settled in when Annie and Matt had Alice three years into the marriage. Okay. By all accounts, Annie was like a really good mom and her life revolved around her daughter.
2: Mhm.
0: Okay. At the same time, her marriage to Matt was crumbling and the two ended up divorcing about a year after Annie had Alice. Okay. Even though there was disappointment about the divorce, Annie thrived on being a mother and she worked out a custody arrangement with Matt that seemed amicable between the two of them. Okay? okay. There's no ill will between the two of them according to what Matt claimed. Yeah, Annie did the normal 9-to-5 gig, and she also started a side hustle doing face painting to supplement her income. So she's a hard worker, and she's trying to make a better life for herself and her daughter. I don't want to be
1: mean, but there's a market for face painting enough to where she
0: could supplement her income. Evidently. You know, you have kids' parties. You have different events. and I think there's some other stuff that... I don't know if that it was necessarily all kids' face painting, but like evidently she okay. made she made a good side hustle doing face painting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. She's friendly, she's kind, she's personable, and police are trying to figure out who would possibly want to do something to this woman and snuff her life out, right? Yeah. Witnesses and neighbors heard screams and thuds and other noises around eleven PM on the day of Annie's murder. And they, one of them actually turned on appliances and turned up the radio to drown out the sounds. Oh, my gosh. Four hours later, around 3 a.m., witnesses hear screams, doors slamming, and cars leaving. And, of course, not a single person called 911 over the course of that <sighs> nearly four hours, me. right? Um, the 911 call from Annie is horrific and incredibly hard to listen to. She calls the, the 911 line at 2.59 a.m., and it's a six-minute-long phone call after her attacker left. And she is alive, but she is bleeding from numerous right. stab wounds. And she says, obviously, like I said earlier, she did not know her attacker or see them. And that right. led the police to believe that the person had kind of come into her apartment as she was sleeping and attacked her. Yeah. The autopsy revealed over 60 stab wounds. <gasps> Some sinking in as far as eight inches. Holy cow. So this person that attacked her had some intense vengeance yeah. on their mind, right? To do something like that, that many times. That's overkill. Yeah. There was also a VXV carved into Annie's shoulder. Is, it was a what? VXV. VXV. Like Roman numerals. Okay. Carved into her shoulder. Okay. This was obviously three and a half, nearly four hours of intense pain and torture. It's just shocking that someone would do something like this, right? Police question Annie's ex. Because again, obviously. they always go to that person first, the yep. spouse or the ex-spouse. And his new wife claims she was with him all night long. And he claims I didn't have anything to do with this, etc., uh-huh the 35 year old ex had not left all night long according to witnesses okay in addition he claims he has an undiagnosed medical problem that keeps him in constant pain and he's had this for years and he's disabled and unable to get around quickly or efficiently he also can't work okay. because of this it's like fibromyalgia or some. oh okay police obviously don't believe him he seems like he's acting according oh. to them like he it seems contrived like it's he's setting the stage to be like oh there's no way i could possibly do something like this because look at me i'm handicapped oh and they see right through it they think he's faking immediately because he seems disinterested in what happened to annie as well like no sorrow no emotion and again we've had this conversation before like there is no one right or wrong way to react when a, yeah. when a person passes away but this guy just seems really suspicious to them right off the bat right and they continue questioning him Evidently, he had cheated on his first wife and then met and married Annie out of that first union okay. when he was on the rebound. And then three years later, he divorces her and has another marriage almost immediately. So Matt was, by all witness accounts, a good dad, though. And he shared custody pretty much free of problems with Annie for the few years after the divorce until he married Angela in 2014. Okay. Okay. Angela had three kids of her own from two previous unions, and this is basically when the issue started with Annie. So police get Matt and Angela in there, and they both admit to being worn out by the night that happened on the evening that Annie passed away. Angela claims she's sick with some kind of unspecified sickness, illness, whatever. She claims she was crapping and puking at the same time and a whole host of other things. And she, like, puts her head down on the table, and she's obviously being really dramatic, like, acting it up, right? Trying to make them believe there's no way I could have done this either because I was so sick. Okay. What immediately strikes me as weird is how detailed and specific these accounts are. Like, well, I can't do this because A, B, C, and D. And oh. we all know that when people are giving excuses when they actually did it, like, the more detailed the account, the more suspicious the person looks, right? Yeah. And she's giving the very specific details, like, what show they watched on the night, you know, what time they went to bed, and who the hell knows what time they go to bed. Like
1: unsolicited. Yeah.
0: What? I mean, do okay. you know what time you go to bed? I mean, you maybe lay in bed, like, put yourself into bed at 11, but do you know what time you actually fall asleep? No. No, no one does, but she yeah. says she does. So. Go ahead.
1: And they're, they're each other's only alibi, correct? No. Oh. I'm
0: about to tell you ah. more. <laughs> Sorry. I, every time I do that. Yeah. As it turns out, they also have three roommates. And this is where, like, all the good stuff starts coming in. Okay. The first roommate. His name is Aaron McCraw, and he's uh-huh. Angela's ex-husband and the father of two of her kids. Well, sorry, what's happening? <laughs> they live with Angela's ex-husband, the father of two of her kids. Okay. Okay. Highly unusual. Are these kids living in the house also? Yep. Okay. She has three children, and then they have Alice, who right. lives with them okay. part of the time. Right. So there's four kids in this household, as well as three roommates, and Angela and Matt. So there's a lot of people living in this yeah, house. a lot. Okay. Okay. Aaron McCraw claims he wasn't at the house that night, that he basically stays there when he needs to, but, like, sleeps with his girlfriend or okay. s- anyone else when he gets the opportunity. Okay. Okay? And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a oh, second, because your mind is going to be blown. Okay. Second roommate claims to be out, but came home and found Matt and Angela in bed around midnight. Came home and found them in bed? Because I think they either had their bedroom in the living room or the door was open to their bedroom. It's not really super clear. Okay. The murder itself, they say, was around 11.15, so this would have been super hard to pull off if either Matt or Angela was the killer, according to what people thought at that time. The third roommate was Karina Walters, one of Angela's best friends, and she lives in the garage. Okay. Okay. She claims she would have heard the car start because it's super loud. Okay. Okay. She says, I'm their alibi because I never heard that car one time that night. They, they never left. I would have heard it if it would have left. I don't want to judge, but evidently Annie was in kind of relationships with another couple, and she was a girlfriend to both the man and the woman. And their whole kind of group was into these weird kind of pirate parties, Annuals? dungeon and dungeon, yeah, dungeon and pirate parties. Okay, where these adults dress up like pirates or dungeon masters and party, drink, do drugs, uh, hit each other, spank each other. Um, some of it had what was called knife play. So it's a fetish group. Yeah, essentially. And Annie was into that kind of thing, and she had been known to have been in a relationship with a couple. She's into the kink lifestyle. She goes to pirate parties, dungeon parties with her couple. She goes to parties with a couple. She's a girlfriend of a couple. I understand. So they are asking Karina, the best friend of Matt's new wife, Angela, if they're into threesomes and the couple lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, "Mm, (laughs) I think there's some question there. In any case, police also questioned the polyamorous couple that Annie had been in a relationship with. Okay. So they're like, hmm, tell us about it. They actually live about an hour and a half away from Portland. And they're all part of a large role-playing group where they dress up like pirates. Mm -hmm. And they use knives as part of this sex play. But they quickly determined that the knife thing wasn't Annie's thing. So they interviewed Karina and asked her if, you know, her and Matt and Angela were into that Uh kind of thing, and that's kind of just left up in the air. Yeah. But they do go back to Annie's relationship with that couple from Portland, and they ask them about Annie and try to see where they were that night. So Annie liked to go to these pirate parties with the couple – She's into that kind of thing, the kink the kink world and whatnot, and that's okay. Okay. No judgment. Okay. But this couple that she had been in a relationship with lived about an hour and a half away in Portland, and they were all part of this large role-playing group, et cetera, et cetera. But as it turned out, the couple had broken things off with Annie about six weeks prior to her murder, yeah. and they both have alibis, and they said there was no hard feelings in the breakup, you know, they, they all parted ways on good terms. So the couple is quickly removed from the suspect list. But the killer had scaled a fence, stood on a cinder block, removed the air conditioner, and crawled in through a window, which is no easy feat. Right. Right? So this they, they're looking for a specific type of person, right? Okay. The police search the area, and they're really trying to, like, flush out any clues that they have. And she lives— really close to a popular trail that has a lot of transients and homeless people and that kind of thing. So they're like, maybe it was a random killer. Right. So they, they look into that. Um, they think perhaps it was a robbery or a burglary okay. gone bad. But then they determine that there's no jewelry. Nothing's missing. Her wallet and phone, all that is still there. So they rule this out. OK. Police then bring Mad and Angela in again. Right. And again, they act highly suspicious. Part of the problem here is that there is nothing at the crime scene, no DNA from Matt or Angela. The only thing at the crime scene as a clue is that one footprint. And it's a size nine and a half or 10 in the blood. Okay. So they take Matt and they figure if this guy, because he's acting kind of shady, if he actually was involved in this, then he's going to have some kind of markings or something on his body. So they ask him to take his clothes off to look for bruises and scratches and they don't find anything. So they're like, hmm, okay, maybe not. His shoes were also size 11 and a half and this doesn't fit the shoe print at the site. So they're starting to think that maybe he wasn't there. It had to have been somebody else. But the police kind of bluff and say that they have evidence that he was part of Annie's death. And he surprises them By saying, "Hey, if you had enough evidence, you'd arrested me already." I mean, that's true, but police don't really think that's what innocent people say. That they typically get mad, angry, and are like, "No way," blah blah blah. But like, how are you supposed to respond to
1: that? Like, when to them saying, "We have evidence," say, "No way, you don't," or "I wasn't
0: involved," or get mad, not, "Hey." If you had right, but, it, like, you would have arrested they're me They're going to say already. a guilty person would say that too. You know what I mean? They're just suspicious of him because he acts—he's yeah. acting shady. Yeah. And Angela continues to deny involvement as well, but she she keeps volunteering more and more information. She says, "Oh yeah, I remember that night because my dogs woke up and needed to pee." And they ask her what time, and she says, "Oh, around 3 a.m." Which also seems suspicious because coincidentally, that is around the same time that Annie called 911. Because the killer supposedly left around that time. Dude, like, if Dahlia has to pee in the middle of the night, like, I couldn't remember that the next day. but she's super clear on it. She makes this weird statement that she ended up puking and crapping herself at the same time after she let the dogs out. She's just volunteering a lot of very specific information, which seems super shady to me. She says that Matt got up and helped her shower because he had to help her wash the poop off around 3 a.m. Okay. Which, again... Who That's does commitment.
2: that? That's love,
0: <laughs> I guess. But Matt says, hey, I never got up. I don't, I don't know about any of this. And immediately the police are like, wait a minute. Whoopsie doodle. Oh, something's off here. Now there are cracks yeah. in the whole Matt-Angela alibi thing. One week after her death, Annie is buried. And interestingly enough, her ex-husband and his wife go to the funeral with Alice. Police watch the whole thing with undercover officers on the scene. Uh And they notice that Angela has a pretty significant cut on her right hand between her ring and forefinger. Ouch. Okay. And this is highly suspicious. Yes. Police then dig a little deeper and discover that after the initial amicable divorce, that Matt paid around $200 a month to Annie for Alice's child support. Mm Mm-hmm. Since Annie had full custody. But two years later, when Matt married Angela, something changed. And there was a custody battle in court that ended up Angela called CPS on Annie, Whoa. saying that Alice was being neglected. And the CPS come out and investigate, and they find no evidence of any kind of neglect. Mm-hmm. Then Angela starts doing all the exchanges with Alice after Matt suddenly claims that Annie had abused him during their marriage. Hmm. So none of this came up and then all of a sudden Matt's like, oh yeah, I remember Annie abused me during our marriage. Okay. So gradually their relationship becomes more and more strained and Matt then decides he's gonna go for full custody of Alice. Okay. Okay. So this is, you know, motive, knocking around here in the background. Matt then stops paying child support, becomes uncooperative and antagonistic.
2: Hmm.
0: It seems to police that he only wants custody for monetary reasons. But it's not just child support. Both Matt and Angela were unemployed. Okay. Evidently, they consider themselves, quote, professional parents. Receiving benefits from the state for multiple diagnoses for their children with various medical problems. They were getting around $2,000 a month for this and had plans for Alice to get money too by claiming she was bipolar. Okay. So this is essentially their meal ticket. Yes. They're using these children by getting medical diagnoses or diagnoses. diagnoses for these children so that that can pay for their lifestyle instead of working because they say they're professional parents and they deserve this wow yeah pretty unbelievable right yes i mean not unbelievable but like no that people do this that's pretty unbelievable in any case six months prior to her death the family court agreed with annie in her claims and awarded her continued full custody And they sent Matt a bill for about $29,000 in court fees and $13,000 in back child support.
1: Good for them. This was a
0: total of $42,000. Although I do have a feeling it doesn't turn out well. And Annie never suspected or never expected to see a dime of this since the guy didn't work. Right. He's, you know, they're living hand to mouth. They have three roommates. They're barely scraping by. This money isn't going to come out of nowhere. But... Right, Oregon doesn't play when it comes to back child support. They yank your license and they issued a warrant for Matt's arrest Whoa, for failure right. to pay that child support. They were like, "Where to go?" Oregon. Oregon is very tough on that kind of thing. And Matt just seems to everyone from the outside very chill about the whole thing, unnaturally so. But they say Angela, on the other hand, was furious. She was even heard saying, If I kill her, no one will miss her. Whoa. But her friend didn't think she was serious. She thought she was just blowing off steam. So she didn't say anything.
1: Like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, because I've been mad at people and I've said things,
0: but then, like, they don't usually end up happening. Yeah. So police check CCTVs in the neighborhood, and bingo. A silver SUV is seen leaving the area of Matt and Angela's house. And it just so happens Matt and Angela drive a Mazda silver SUV. And it's the same one mm. seen moving through the neighborhood. And it's also seen okay. on nine more cameras in the area across Portland to Gresham. Oh, boy. Okay. This is a 26-minute drive. They arrived... whoever was in that vehicle arrived at Annie's place at 11.23 p.m. around the time of the reported screams. The car was then seen roughly four hours later coming back through the neighborhood the same way it came around 3 a.m. It's still not clear, though, who was driving that car and why her roommate said she hadn't heard or seen the car. Okay. The roomie thinks they hadn't started it. They kind of let it, you know, when you put the car in neutral and just let it roll, that they'd done that in order to, so that she wouldn't hear Okay. But the police think she's lying to protect her friend because it's her best friend. Okay. Right? Police then inspect Matt and Angela's cell phones. And they see that around November 8th, Matt sent Angela a Payless shoe store coupon. And are Payless Shoe Stores even around anymore? I thought they were going bankrupt or something of that nature. I do think they still have the occasional. And
1: actually, to correct you, it's Payless Shoe Source. Oh, yeah. um, It's just a, an enjoyable reference I like to Discount make. Discount Shoe yeah. Store.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think we went there when I was a kid because my, mo- my mom had five kids, and she was single mom trying to make it on our own. So we did go there a few times, but it is extremely <laughs> cheap shoes. Yeah. Um that typically fall apart within a few weeks in, in my experience. Now it's a little bit better, but you, back you, in the day. That I don't that might be the case now, but like back when we
1: were growing, like you could get a good find there.
0: Back in the day, they would fall apart like within a couple of weeks of having Oh, you know. I,
1: I think I had some good finds from there cuz there was a time like Yeah, but you're a little because... younger than me,
0: so like you they're probably better by then.
1: Perhaps, but, like, I was, because I'm tall, I wear a size 10, and, like, in the early days of my wearing a size 10, you couldn't get women's athletic shoes in size 10, like, so you had to buy men's sneakers.
0: We always made jokes and would say, pay less, fall apart, or pay less,
1: they were people, yeah, it wasn't. So, I think that was probably, like, the early days of my um, athletic career that I probably got some
0: sneaks at Pay Last Shoe Source. In any case... Matt sent Angela a coupon and she goes there and an hour later sends him a picture of some boots interestingly enough police see this picture and they narrow it down to a specific store by looking at the carpet pattern and they know that only one store had not updated the carpet pattern and they narrow it down to a specific tile in a specific store and find out that that's where Angela had purchased a pair of boots November 8, 2015. Okay. Okay. She used a credit card, and, hmm, want to guess what size those boots were? Oh, was it about a nine and a half? Yeah. Nine, nine and a half? And they were exactly the same print as the ones in the crime scene. Huh. So clearly, Angela was at the crime scene. Not good at crimes. But they don't have anything on Matt Hester. Did she do this alone? Did she do it at all? Was she just there? Who was involved in this? Or was Karina with her? In the meantime, Matt is basically posting videos on YouTube it just the whole thing seems super weird he's like updating his life and talking about just you know cool. things that are going on with him not necessarily about the crime or the case or anything but he's just enjoying the fact that his name is out yeah, there now and he's getting yeah. attention and it's super weird because like who Gross. the hell wants to know what's going on with his boring weird life right. like he's writing it like he's a celebrity and like it, or he's yeah. he's recording it like he's a celebrity Every, and people it, care I what's, Facebook. what's going on with his life right he's posting these on YouTube regularly yeah Annie's friends and family are just basically terrified because they're like, they think that whoever did this to Annie is going to come back for one of them too. So they're carrying pepper spray and they're keeping a very close eye on Matt Hester. Mm. And police claim that they're awaiting on DNA results on the, from the scene of the crime. Okay. Evidently, I, I, how long does it take to get DNA back? Like it seems like in 2016, it shouldn't have been that long. Well,
1: it can take a while depending on the backlog too. Like, the priority of cases and
0: stuff. But in any case, the new DNA test arrived in October 2017, which allowed for testing with a smaller sample and faster results. Yeah. I don't think it's
1: a, like, it's not a turnaround process. Like, it's yeah. not.
0: Want to guess whose DNA was found on the crime scene?
1: Um, was it Angela?
0: Angela. Boop, bingo, bingo, bingo. And also Annie's blood was found in the silver SUV. Okay. Oh, Okay. At this time, though, Matt and Angela had moved about 600 miles away to Idaho. Hmm. In the year and a half since Annie's death, so they don't get this, the DNA results for about a year and a half after the death, which seems like a that very does seem long like time—really long time. long time for that kind of a thing. Police watch the house and they see Matt looking fit and healthy. They follow him around. He's like throwing things, like cases of water, and he doesn't look like he's showing any signs of. Of this this chronic. previous undiagnosed chronic condition yeah. that has handicapped him for life, right? Police then drop on in and they arrest Angela October 4th in her pajamas. And they charge her with Annie's murder. She's basically kicking and screaming and cursing the entire time, like, really, like, how dare you? What are you doing? Get off me. That kind of thing. Like, really, like... How, who could have
1: seen this coming? Seriously. You know what my nightmare is? This is kind of a little sidetrack, but my, well, one of my many nightmares is, that, like, for some reason, if I were to ever get arrested, that they wouldn't let me, like, put a bra on before I leave the house. <laughs> like, it's something I think about, like, way too much. Like, well, I think can I at least put a bra on? And, I, like, my fear is that they'll be like, no. You Gross. just have to. We got to go, go right now. Like, go I don't know why. Bra. I don't know why this happened, but it's something I think about. Or you've got your bad underwear on. No, I just, like, no, just, like, I just want to feel, like, supported, supported Get together. I don't want to feel like I was, like,
0: March Frog marched out of my house, I guess. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Back to the story. As police question her, she keeps rubbing and looking at the scar on the back of her hand where the undercover police officer had seen the cut at Annie's funeral. Mm. So, like, she's inadvertently, like, and it just looks hella suspicious, right? Yeah. And she demands a lawyer right away, and police basically have DNA. And they're like, that's why they arrested her. But mm-hmm. she's acting really shady. Like, she takes a cup of water and, like, wipes the rim with the tissue and then takes the cup with the tissue and puts in the t- – so, like, she's trying to prevent so they can't them get more of from getting DNA? more of her DNA when they've already got they've her already got DNA, it. right? Yeah. Like, she clearly doesn't understand that, right? Um, Matt was there, too, and police see he's Pretending like he's disabled again. Mm. <laughs> so I have this fibromyalgia; it comes and goes, but I'm disabled. So like they saw him like multiple right. occasions before that, like mowing the lawn and like doing all this activity. But when the police question him, he's like with a cane and pretending like he can barely walk.
1: That's like the Golden State Killer when they were observing him versus after they arrested Pretty him. Pretty much, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Matt then turns against Angela and says that she woke him at 3 a.m. all bloody. So he immediately, like, spills the beans. Like, I'm going to mess around. Take her. So, OK. He claims okay, that ahead. he had no idea what happened, where she'd been, etc. but that he suspected something bad happened. He admitted that he cleaned blood out of the car and claimed that he had no part in the planning of Annie's murder. I wonder what tipped him off as to something bad happening. And then, surprise, surprise, the covered in blood. he changes the story again. And says that his wife had asked her ex-husband to kill Annie. The ex-husband that lives with them. Aaron McCraw, the, uh-huh. the roommate. Uh-huh. Right? Police then bring in Aaron McCraw to sort of corroborate this story. And Matt claims they did not go through with the murderer. They, they solicited him, but they didn't go through with it because they didn't have the money. In the meantime, though, police bring Aaron in and question him, and he denies. It's funny, because they have Matt call Aaron when he's in prison to try to record Uh it and get some information and whatnot. And Aaron, like, denies everything and then hangs up. Like, he's not playing. He won't talk to them. Okay. Yeah. But then Aaron claims the whole thing has given him PTSD and that he's now been diagnosed and given medication for the trauma he suffered during police questioning and polygraphing. Aaron claims that Matt made all of this up to get custody of the kids.
1: Okay.
0: That he has custody of the kids now because Angela's in jail and Matt's making it all up to get custody of the kids. Okay. Police don't believe Matt or Aaron. (laughs) Like, like they think there was some kind of a thing, some kind of a conspiracy between these three individuals to kill Annie. They get a search warrant and they search Angela and Matt's house. And Angela was eligible for the death penalty when this First thing all went down because of the aggravated circumstances involved Uh here. But Matt didn't have any charges against him, and he was free to leave. Okay. However, all four of the children were removed from his custody and placed into foster care with good freaking reason, right? Yeah, really. Matt, in the meantime, just sits around playing video games all day. Oh, good. So he hasn't changed. Yeah, and he gets kicked. The fame hasn't changed him. He ends up getting kicked out because I guess the house that they were all staying in was Karina's. Oh, okay. and she let him stay there for a little bit because she says Why was she in the garage i don't know she said bizarre. she let him stay there for a while because she was hoping that he would slip up and say something and she would hear it oh. but in any case after he gets kicked out he goes and lives with a friend in washington state okay in the meantime though as well he thinks he's the beneficiary of annie's life insurance policy which she'd obtained when they were married uh-huh. But, you know, when you get divorced, you change the beneficiaries on the life typically. insurance policy typically. So he calls the insurance company and is like, when do I get my payout? Again, that's motive. That's mur- murder yeah. motive, right? But Annie's two policies were written um, so that her mother and her daughter received the money. Right. Matt was not aware she'd made this change. So, again, he thinks he's going to get a payout. That could be motive for murder. Right by June 2019, 3 years after Annie's death, police arrest Matt. The charges. Want to guess? Uh, fraud, not murder. Murder. Conspiracy, uh, conspiracy to commit murder and solicitation to commit murder, okay? For trying to get Aaron McCraw to murder Annie. All right. By his own admission, he had asked Aaron for this or participated in asking Aaron for this. And he was facing up to eight and a half years for that charge. And Angela faces the death penalty for charges of aggravated murder. But we all know the first to squeal gets the deal. Yes. Both Matt and Angela pleaded not guilty but eventually, the death penalty was taken off the table after legislative changes in Oregon took place.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: police were worried at that point because they didn't really have a lot of room for plea bargaining because that was the major chip they were going to use. Sure. to plea bargain with her to take death penalty off the table. But now that it's gone, what do they have? Yeah. November 2020, the trial for Angela begins. And she is found guilty. She gets 25 to life with the possibility of parole at the age of 60 in 2042. Wow, okay. Which is interesting. I think that because they didn't necessarily have proof that she was the one that stabbed Annie, they had her at the scene, but they didn't have proof that it wasn't Matt or Aaron that actually did the killing, right? Although she did have that cut on her finger. But for some reason, they didn't want to risk it. Um, And so they, they went with the possibility of parole. Okay. Okay. Matt took a plea deal. August 2021, they dropped the conspiracy charge. The reason for that is so that they can still have a shot at murder charges later, and this won't violate double jeopardy rules. But he pleaded guilty to hindering prosecution and soliciting murder, and he got five years in prison. He will be eligible for parole in 2023. Five years doesn't seem like enough for soliciting murder. No, it doesn't. But many people think Matt got away with murder. However, like police are very adamant that there's still room for murder charges and that as soon as that evidence is collected and ready to go, they will file those charges. Interesting. The, the one kind of bright shining light in this case is that Alice, the daughter, is yeah. now 10, and she is being raised by Annie's mom, who was allowed to legally adopt her. Oh, good. Okay. She is, by all accounts, well-adjusted and happy, despite her mother's terrible death. So. Wow. There's that one little bright note on the story, one little positive note. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a lot going on with this case. There's so much going on with this. Like, I might have to listen to this episode two or three times to understand it. And I'm, like, here, one, you're recording it, telling me the story.
0: It's a little wild. And there's a lot of, I looked up a lot of, there's a lot of articles about it online. Interesting. Okay. And I looked up pictures of the couple, which I was very fascinated by for some reason. Because I was like, I, I had in my mind a picture of what I thought they were going to look like. And they really The couple just... that Annie was involved with? No. the Annie and Angela and Matt. Oh. I looked up pictures yeah. of them. Because there's not pictures of any of the other stuff. And I was really oh, okay. surprised by what I saw. I was like, wow, this is not at all what I thought this was going to be like. Interesting. Okay. Um, in any case, though, women typically don't murder by stabbing they usually kill by no. poisoning and, and something of that nature. It, 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 the type of thing where they wouldn't um, have to potentially fight their victim. Right. right. According to statistics, right? Yeah. So I find this case particularly interesting because this woman did break into this house and, by all accounts, stabbed this woman with three different knives. you got to be pretty hardcore. Three different knives? Like, that's just... And eight inches deep. Like not only do you have to be hardcore, but you have to be strong. Yeah. To kill in that way and to get in eight inches because stabbing through human flesh, from what I understand, is not easy. Well, it's not the flesh, it's the bone. Yeah.
1: So And she'd nearly been decapitated. Be... Like it was yeah, hardcore. Like
0: Sixty times.
1: Yeah. That's that's
0: horrifying. But evidently, from what I understand in this case, like Ugh, this woman, like, she just keeps talking about puking and crapping herself. And, like, who does that? That's really bizarre. And who volunteers like, that kind of information? And wh- why is that germane? I'm not trying to l- learn that about anybody no. at any time. So, and ugh, I just don't get it. Over what? There was some kind of speculation that they, I mean, for the custody of the girl so that they could get money for a disability? Well, in
1: the court. The court, yeah, but bill. still, is that worth killing somebody? No, nothing is. I'm just saying. I think that that's what her logic was, like, to get out of paying this thirty thousand dollars some odd
0: bill. It's just really, really wild case. Yeah. And then when you throw in the whole pirate dungeon party thing, and the the ex husband living with them, and like the threesome issue, and like all that other weird stuff, like it just turns it into this kind of circus. Yes.
1: And again, not here to judge. Not here to. I heard a phrase actually just the other day. Not here to yuck anybody's yum. Right. Yeah, That's a good one. Um, but it does make for an interesting story when this things like this happen. And it I want to know knowledge. about these.
0: Like, pirate parties. <laughs> this is
1: a real thing.
0: I think I'm all set on pirate parties. There are people that actually live their entire lives as pirates. Like, Jack Sparrow. Like, that's how they dress every day. That's how they function. That's how they live their lives. I mean, cool. If it works for them. And it's wild because my my sister, my younger sister, she's not part of a pirate community or anything like that. But she's really into pirates, too. Like, every time she gets a chance to dress up, she dresses up like a pirate. Interesting.
2: <laughs> like, I don't understand I don't either. the draw. I don't get it
1: but hey it's <laughs> really not for don't. me to get it's it's for somebody else to love and but be it's and... like
0: there are, whole, there are whole communities that are out there
2: yeah.
0: um, that dress up yeah. and that, dress, that, that enjoy dressing up as part of their everyday life and maybe as sexual excitement like in fur costumes right. like as animals, furries there are people that dress up in all sorts of ways as part of their some people, as part of their yeah. everyday life. Like, they—they they, everyday existence is in a, a suit, like a big human-sized yeah. doggy, And it's not its not and, just a sexual thing. Like, that's, yeah, that's just yeah, there. Yeah, some people function that way, like, in their normal day-to-day existence, which is pretty interesting to me. Like, the, I, I don't understand what the psychological aspects of that are and, and implications.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't know very much about it. I mean, I just, they're not hurting anybody, and everybody's consenting adults then go on and do what your bad self i
2: don't
0: know if you have any questions comments suggestions um complaints or if you yourself uh live in costume or wear costumes frequently shoot us an email we're at the bfd podcast at gmail.com we loved hearing from you guys and um (laughs) we'd be more than happy to give you a shout out on the show if you yourself are interested in any of this kind of stuff um darcy social media yeah we are at the bfd podcast uh on
1: instagram so we will probably end up posting some of these pictures of this unexpected looking thruple um and other good deets from the case and we'll also put our ad our um discount code for magic mine we'll put that in the show notes and stuff like that too
0: Awesome. Okay, everyone, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>